Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So, hey, Brad, thanks for joining us today virtually. Look forward to talking. Yeah, so, um, so such crazy times we're in. Um, uh, you know, it's been a, actually, I think, what, a couple of years since we visited the first time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when we were together last time, we talked about a lot about new product development and your work with Fab. And um, mm-hmm. what I really want to talk to you about today is specifically the work that you're doing, you've been doing on supply chain, and just talk to you about supply chain because that's been, you know. Uh, COVID is teaching us a lot of things, but I think one of the big ones that people are realizing is just how fragile the supply chain for food is. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of interest in thinking about it and thinking about it differently. And you and I have been talking here for a while and you're, you're as usual, way ahead and have been thinking about this for at least a year or so. Mm-hmm. Why don't you why don't you start do you want to just start by talking about what's been going on like what's what's breaking down what's working and then we can get into what you um what you've been doing at fab and other thoughts does that sound good yeah sure well it's been interesting as covid um obviously has strained the system because you know we've had shifts in demand you know in demand i mean it, people are still eating obviously um, but it's not all from food service. Like 50% of the, you know, and these are rough numbers, but, you know, 50% of food was um, coming through food service and then the rest was coming through grocery and other outlets and such. Um, you know, that, that's got disrupted, all right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what happens is, you know, that's creating problems. And so there was, you know, there was, uh, you know, COVID has caused some things, but before COVID, um, the world was, you know, not the easiest place in the world to navigate you know, for supply chain, you know, our food and beverage supply chain. You know, I've been doing some work with Fab, um, whole initiative called you know Moving Fab and you know, Moving Food and Beverage, and um, and it's this idea. It, it really comes from. It started from somebody raising their hand. Go, what can you do to help on freight? It's killing us. You know, while well, freight was sort of one of the you know pinch points that people could feel where the freight charges were going up, and they you know why you know there there was a speculation about you know the, the fact when you know, that's speculation, but the actual thing, the actual fact that. Carriers were being held to, you know, with GPS systems, you know, that you now are driving, you know, X number of hours a, a day. You take X, Y number of hours, you know, rest, you can go. And so what was happening, the net effect of that was about a 20, 30% loss um, of the capacity of the freight supply chain that obviously drives freight costs up, creates capacity problems, you know, just a lot of things on that nature. But as we dug into it, you know, it really came into a lot of other things because, um one of the key areas that the supply chain was 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 having issue with is that uh, I found an FMI report that retail grocery in the United States had basically been losing seventy five billion dollars of annual sales um, due to product not being on shelf. Right? Wow. So out of stocks, you know, out of stocks, late shipments, um, you know, the not shipping in full orders, um, various things of that nature. So retailers over the last few years have 
have, have just like one by one have started doing programs. So I want, I want product on shelf. All right. So right. Uh, they have OTIP, they have OTIP programs uh, on time, full order, you know, you know, fees. If you don't, if you don't ship on time with full orders, you mm-hmm. get charged a fee. And that fee, you know, so you $75 billion of lost retail sales, which is roughly about $50 billion of manufacturer's sales. So right. retailers are not making their money. The manufacturers are not making their money. And then there's a $5 billion offset that the retailers were getting because they're getting that $5 billion. They're getting $5 billion in OTIP fee. Right. Um, now that's, you know, the retailers are getting $5 billion but losing 75 So that's not a good situation. Um, and then, you know, the, and the manufacturers are not only losing $5 billion, but they're losing another 5 or $50 billion, but they're losing $5 billion in OTIP fees. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is not working. And oddly enough, I found these facts by finding a software that was talking about how they could fight the OTIP fees, you know, <laughs> versus, yeah. solving the pro- versus solving the problem. Right, um, the underlying problem. And, yeah, and, and is so- the... Was the do you think the underlying problem was the what happened with the legislation for how you know over the road truckers and how long they can drive? I mean, at the core of it, or what's up? No, I think I, I that's there's a lot of contributing factors. We did we, you know, what we did was you know from base you know so I, I found factoids out based off of some digging I was doing, but. When I worked with, uh, you know, some of the key stakeholders at, in, at, at FAB, you know, Sargento Johnsonville, Schreiber, uh, Molly, I mean, we had, a, we had a good host of, of manufacturers, and then we had some 3PLs and warehouses, Central, Central yeah. Warehouse and Storage, some really nice, good names in, the, in, our, in our Wisconsin ecosystem. And, and they were, you know, we did some survey work and finding out where the pressure points were. And, you know, it wasn't just that. I mean, you know, you had freight issues, you had, you know, the, the lumber fees, the the turnarounds at, at warehouses and, and, right. and there's just a laundry list of things that weren't working well together. You know, our, our uh-huh. warehouse, our, our, our cold chain um, and, and transportation warehouse uh, network is at, at capacity. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, it was like 90 to 95% capacity already. So any disruptions were going to cause, were going to be amplified. All right. Um, you know, and then you have other segments, you know, that are, are driven by, you know, manufacturers, you know, the, the large, you know, large, you know, I'm going to say dairy meat and poultry produce manufacturers, you know, they get to where they at in cost and efficiency by, you know, all these large scale per, perfect systems, right. um, you know, so everything has to sort of work together. When I say perfect systems, I mean, a turkey has to be X pounds plus or minus, you know, like, you know, a, a pound or two. All right. Um, right. You know, beef and pork the same way. Produce has to look the way it's supposed to look, um, and right. it's, you know, you and, and things of that nature. So, what happens is, in order to get you know economies of scale and efficiencies and whatnot, things have to sort of work the way they're supposed to. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we were, you know, we were working well when we had enough. I'm going to say flexibility in the system, and it was set up to run the way it was running, with everything sort of split between retail and food service. You know, so now you add it, you know, you, 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 you add in COVID and like that disrupts that. And then, then I'll, there's another major disruptor occurring in, in, in the supply chain these days, and that's the e-commerce side of the world. Right, um, right. So, you know, up until COVID, you know, about 5 to 8% of food and beverage was going through um, e-commerce. All right, so it's mm-hmm. not a whole lot. Um, one company I'm working with uh, in my fabric, in my FabCap program this year, T4 Solutions, is, you know, working on, you know, a cloud-based, you know, uh, refrigerated 
and frozen locker system, you know, to be able to help retailers become profitable in e-commerce. But up until this point, they haven't been. Um, because literally, I mean, other than, you know, Amazon in the world has been trying to do what Amazon does, get product into a warehouse and then ship it from there to people. Um, right. Whereas but even Amazon grocery, operated at yeah. a loss for years, right? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, Amazon as a whole did, and then even at, and then when they when they when they got into when they bought the brick and mortar of, of Whole Foods and UNFI and and, and uh, Super Value, I mean, you know, they sort of then they, then they got into brick and mortar and trying to you know, and then they're trying to I'm going to say revolutionize uh, food and beverage, which they're you know they're going to work at it, they're going to continue working at it, they're going to they're probably going to crack the code at some point in time because one of their their DNA is to go from from a manufacturer to a warehouse to the people. All right. 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 Whereas and they're really and efficient and good at it because they're giant. Yeah. But but the problem you run into it first off, I mean, food and beverage, you know, you know, is the largest actually economic sector in the in the United States. I mean, there's roughly what eight hundred fifty billion dollars of of across all commodity categories. You yeah. Know, of, of food and beverage, right? That's so crazy, um, isn't it? Yeah. And so what happens is, you know, delivery, you know, the, the, if you, if we've done the, the C4, we finally have done the numbers, you know, and, uh-huh. and, you know, up, up until pre COVID, it was about five to 8% was going through food and beverage or uh-huh. going through e-commerce. Um, COVID now it's actually gone to, it, it's gone to 40%, uh, you know, wow. in the last in, and in and two so, months. Yeah. yeah, and so what's happening in you know now? By the way, one of the one of the founders before used to build grocery stores for a living, um, uh-huh. and he was a, you know had a, had a consulting business that did that uh, for like thirty uh-huh. some years. He knows everybody in the industry, and the reality is, is what they're telling him and what he knows of the economics of, of a grocery store. If you lose up to twenty percent of your business across the retail, across uh-huh. the you know that's not going through the store anymore, right. they will You're have out of problems business. being profitable. Yeah, they're not going to be profitable yeah. anymore. Um, yeah. And, and oh, by the way, the way they're doing e-commerce is not very profitable because they literally run it through their warehouse system, through the store, on the shelf, pull it off the shelf, then ship it to somebody else. Right. Versus Amazon is you know, going to just the one warehouse and then shipping it to right. somebody else. Right, right. Um, you know, so it's like they, it, they haven't been making money. Um, you know, you know as, as a whole, the industry is not, is not making money. Probably everybody's losing money if they really did a good forensic accounting of their e-commerce. Um, uh-huh. They're trying to figure it out, um, but but that you know they're working their way through it, just like any early stage company. You know, this is sort of an right. early stage distribution network, right? Um, right. And including it's not just them; it's, it's including Amazon. I mean, they're they're right. not lighting the world on fire in food and beverage just yet, um, right. because if if, you, if once they do, and they said that you talk about those numbers at forty percent, what's going to happen is the forty some thousand grocery outlets will have to deliver a hundred plus. Deliveries. Every single store would have to deliver 100 plus deliveries. They meet just have 40 percent of them. Yeah. Right? Wow. And, and it's like so. It'd be it'll be like Christmas on steroids every day. You know, for deliveries. Right. You know, we will right. need drones. That's why. That's why, one reason why. I, you know, they've been looking at drones. I'm sure is that mm-hmm. you know as volume continues to increase, and one of the largest sectors of the volume opportunity is food and beverage. So that's all pre-COVID, right? And then you come into it where you disrupt the supply chains and they. Everything built for, for those uh, scenarios, and uh, and boy, you know, it gets to be tough. And then and then, you know, then you start, you know, that's that's just I'm going to talk about supply chain with respect to moving product around. Talk right. about making the product. You know, making the product. You know, you're moving the product around is moving 
ingredients too, by the way, to the manufacturer. Yeah. All right. So now if a manufacturer can't get it, all of its ingredients on time, you know, and you've got, you know, a plant that's running at 50% capacity because, you know, you've either had to space people out or slow down the line because the hogs are not too big to run the way they were running. So you go, right. you know, if you, you know, if you were, if, you know, in theory, you know, it, or in practice, I'm sure from what I'm hearing actually is, you know, they, ha- they have hogs and turkeys and cows that are getting too big to run on lines. All yeah. right. Um, yeah. You know, they have to be plus or minus as I said, very finite number, you know, and they're, you know, they're, the time from when they're ready to go to harvest um, to when they're harvested, if it's, you know, a couple of weeks, a month, it's a huge issue. For the manuf- right. for the I'm going to say the processor number one, but even for the farmer, I mean the farmer now has to feed them for another month, right? You know, and they're not getting that much more. If in fact they're probably not getting that much more, and they're probably trying to just get well, rid of them. Well, they may not be able to you know. sell it at all. Yeah, exactly. Well, if they can't find a slaughterhouse, I mean that's sort right. of a, you know it, it's a becoming a real problem. So you, you start seeing how all these disruptions occur, and then when we had, you know, we you know we had. Uh, uh, Gas prices dropping because nobody was driving, right? So, and, right. and we had and we had people supplying too much oil, you know, over the, you know, the various uh, international outlets, and you know, then what happened was ethanol stopped being made because it was, you know, everything was depressed. Well, ethanol, a byproduct of ethanol, is CO two, um, and CO two now all of a sudden everybody that's been shipping that forty percent increase in the drop, you know, in, in drop shipment of product, including food and beverage. Um, you know, all of a sudden there wasn't enough CO2 for the, for, for those, uh, for the dry know, ice for those boxes. Yeah. 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 So, you know, yeah, you, just, you, know, been... you just sort of look at it. Every single sort of thing that you pressure point that you sort of think is okay in the old world is like got to be looked at it in, in the new world. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It just has exposed the, the myriad of dimensions of issues and, and mm-hmm. yeah, and your, your description of, of, you know, kind of what was happening before. I'm not sure that, you know, average people really understood that how tight, you know, how tight distribution was, right, going into this. Oh, yeah. Like, I think a lot of the people, clients that you and I work mm-hmm. with had were having serious troubles with shipping already. Like, mm-hmm. that was the mm-hmm. pain point going into this, mm-hmm. right? And then, mm-hmm. yeah, and now the, the dimensions are crazy. So... So what do you think the, um, you know, what, I guess this gets back to your work at, at, on supply chain, but, um, like, how do you, what do you think the path is out of this for us? Well, I, it's fab what we've been doing and I've gotten, you know, just good support by, you know, like say some of our key, you know, larger manufacturers and, you know, the smaller ones want to, will engage too. It's just, um, they don't have as much of a, you know, they have a big demand issue with respect to supply chain, but. Obviously, it's not in the magnitude of numbers that that it is for the, yeah, um, the larger manufacturers. And they got and they got limited bandwidth, right? Yeah, um, they yeah, don't have exactly. people who just specialize in it in their yeah, company, exactly. right? Yeah. So these large, you know, so the good news is is that you know I've had these these major players, and like say I've had Sargentos and Johnsonvilles and Shrivers and Malios, and um, that have stepped up and said we want to do something, and they've actually we've actually mapped out the supply. We we sat down as an industry group. And, and mapped out the macro food and beverage supply chain from we started we had to put some framework around it because it just uh, obviously it's sort of you know, you know sort of an unwieldy thing so we started at the shipping dock receiving dock of a manufacturer and then okay. we got to the receiving dock of a retailer okay. um, and we did a, a, a macro supply chain map 
Um, we are at we are at a point uh, where we want to engage retailers, so we've been doing that. Um, we've been working towards that. You know, now that that has been easier. You know, you would say, well, that makes sense. We got some major players coming to talk to retailers about it. Well, up until this point in time, I mean, while they have their issues, you know, the major retailers, you know, already have processes in place. We're asking them to sort of look at the world in a different way. Um, right. And how how can we collaborate and look at this macro supply chain? Because really nobody can own the supply chain. You know, right. it's sort of different than manufacturing. I can be the best cheese manufacturer, the meat manufacturer, or the best, you know, retailer, you know, that kind of thing. That's one thing. But that, you know, to 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 say you own the supply chain and, you know, it, in a way it's sort of an interesting, you know, part of this, you know, as we went through it, it's like nobody's really saying that, all right? But a lot of their actions are that way. You know, they're, mm. you know, this is the way I do it. And I'm like, okay, I get that, but, you know, there's that, that has implications even, you know, you know, to the broader supply chain. It has implications on your business, honestly, because, you know, I, I have seen firsthand where, um, especially with the COVID situation now, where all of a sudden retailers ordered, you know, 4X, 5X of right. cheese, meat, whatever. And about three weeks later, they're, they're cutting orders. And it wasn't because, you know, the, as you see, the shelves are empty, all right? It was because the warehouse was full, the back of the, the stores were full. They were not. They were having a hard time getting it on the shelf. Getting because it on the, the shelf. Of, so, I mean, you know, you're replenishing the stock that was moving too fast off the shelf, all right, mm-hmm. because of the spike demand there, you know, and then having resources limitations with, you know, COVID people, you know, with people being sick or, you know, not getting into work or being told not to come to work, um, you know, or, or minimize, you know, I'm going to say minimal, you know, let's have those, a smaller workforce so that we, don't expose them. I mean, a lot of reasons. I mean, it's not like anybody's trying to mess up the supply chain, but there's a lot of things that disrupted it. And, and so, you know, they do have problems getting the product to the shelf. All right. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that we were doing as an industry. We were, we were going to work. We, in fact, right before this, we had a major retailer say, yes, it was like, it was actually March 11th. I think it was. Um, like you know, March our, 3rd our, or something. I was, I was up at uh, one of our manufacturers, and and the, the VP of supply chain comes. You, I, I was there talking to their organization about with Fab about something else, and so I thought I'd talk to the VP of supply chain real quick about uh, this moving Fab initiative. And we were we were trying to make headway of engaging a retailer, and we had we had gotten agreement that they wanted uh-huh. to meet with they wanted to meet with us, and we were going to start start down the the next level of, of collaborative thinking from. I mean, I say from manufacturer all the way through to retail, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and they go, and then and then COVID hit, and everybody was, you know, every, you know, it's like, wait a minute, stop, hold, we gotta we gotta fix this first, we gotta fix up all that, we gotta make sure we get product on the shelf, and and so it's been sitting in a hold pattern for the last three months now. But um, you know, so the hope is, you know, and the plan is, is to engage, you know, you know, our plan is to engage that retailer. Um, into some pilot, you know, so taking it to the next level, we'll, we'll develop our supply chain and go all the way through to the, to the consumer, you know, to where it's in their, in their cart, you know, going to their home. Um, and then, then, then from there, what we're planning on doing is engaging. This is where what, what we're doing with FAB is, um, is we'll engage the university system and get some students, you know, university supply chain students, you know, working on some internship programs mm-hmm. to help us dig deeper into every one of these areas, let alone, you know, the manufacturers and the 3PLs and the warehouses, people that we're engaging, you know, can all dive in. But, you know, try to come at this as a collaborative, um, cooperative, you know, a collaboration of, of 
of professionals, you know, to, to work on optimizing the supply chain, making it more dynamic, all right, mm-hmm. um, and trying to remove the barriers that are preventing us from keeping product on the shelf, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, one other and thing that's come up, I'll add to that real quick, is that... Yeah. So with the COVID issue um, I've been working with between DADCAP and WDC here in the state, um, we've had disruptions on the on the meat supply chain, the milk supply chain, you know, and so all of a sudden we have pork and beef and, that, and milk and stuff that, that can't get to market. Um, yeah. and so we've been working on some emergency, uh, how do we have some emergency systems so that we don't have to do all 101 phone calls to get rid of, you know, 500 or 1,000, you know, head of, of, of cattle that need to be, you know, taken right. care of. Um so we've been working on trying to create, you know, we're doing that just to help out, but when, but in the same breath we're saying, you know what, let's have this, let's get this to be something that we can fall back on. If it Like in this case, if COVID comes back next year, you know, in the fall next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've, I've bolted on one more sort of like ask is that, you know, what if we created a more dynamic, you know, interactive supply chain that would help food and beverage companies, especially the smaller to mid-sized companies, you know, you know, be able to navigate the, the supply chain and more effectively moving forward, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we're, you know, so there's there's a lot of, you know, out of the out of the chaos could come some good things and, and should. Right. Um, it almost has to, obviously. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, we got to clear through this yet. So I had, I read a really interesting article that somebody wrote who was, um came from the renewable energy world where um renewable energy talk about these sort of dynamic um energy generation and grid systems where Mm -hmm. you're connected to the macro grid when Mm -hmm. when you need to be but you can pull off and be you know self-sufficient when it when it would be a problem right um Mm -hmm. so there's this like engaged and not engage flex flexibility and dynamicness about the system and mm-hmm. and he he said the situation with food supply chain reminds me of because that dynamicness is is not the mainstream you know state of affairs in our power grid right mm-hmm. so yep. so he's like the, he said it reminds me of that that we have this rigid big system that if you put a shock to it mm-hmm. the whole it's very hard for the system to adjust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it seems yeah. like that's what the situation is. Like, how do we oh, create yeah. more flexibility in the system? Yeah, well, and that's sort of, I agree. And, and it's, it's interesting, I was talking to, you know, various stakeholders here the last few months. And, and uh, you know, we get talking a little bit about exactly that point. And, and, I've, and I, I just keep bringing up that sort of that analogy, there's two analogies, is that if, if we had to reconstruct our supply chain, you know, you know, and we said, well, it's the most efficient one in the world right now. Why would we, you know, you know, why would we ever be able to, we can't go backwards. We can't go back to small distributed, right. you know, farming. And, and I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, because some of our architecture, you know, that's causing that. I said, but let's look at other, you know, sort of analogous type of categories that sort of like right. you can't really win or lose it. I said, well, you know, you can use computers. I mean, would you ever... If you lost your, you know, if a company, let's just say, you know, a major corporation, the university system lost its computers, you know, and it was running on mainframes, all right? Right. Which it, is, which it isn't, I'm sure, all right? But let's say it was running on a mainframe computer like IBM in the 70s and 80s, right? Um, right. You'd never, today, you'd never build it that way again. You'd go with distributed control through the, the network systems that we, we live on in today, 
All right. Right. You know, we, we, you know, PCs used to be, you know, oh my God, why do you need a PC in your home? All right. right. They don't do anything. Right. Um, right. Well, yeah, they do. And then if you can give them distributed control through an internet, you know, and then a 5G internet and then a da 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 da, you, you can yeah, do Right. And now it's on our phone. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so, you know, so, so to, to live in this world that no, we can't do anything better than what we've done is sort of an interesting thing. And then I said, another analogy is this power grid that you've talked about. I yeah. mean, back in the 70s and 80s, you know, I mean, obviously power line, back in the 19, you know, that's 1900 when we started doing power grids, the only way you could do it was that the way we did it, right? And then all right. the way through to the 1970s, the 80s, you know, that, that's the way we did things. They had microgrids back then, but they were extraordinarily inefficient. They didn't really work very well. Well, go forward another 20 years and almost every third world country has been, you know, they didn't put in power grids like that because they were too expensive, but they put in microgrids because they could right. start utilizing the different sources. Well, they've perfected microgrids. My counterparts at MWorks have, have really focused on that about the last five years. And, um, you know, it is, you know, nowadays, you know, it, it, I, I'll guarantee if you ask major power distribution groups, if you could do it all over again. You know, right. In fact, I heard in Puerto Rico what they're going to do is they're not going to put the power. They don't want to put the power lines. They don't want to put microgrids in. Right. You know, because right. then this way you don't have all these power lines going down. And if they do, you still have power. You right. Know, uh, you know, and you right. have some local power from the sun or the wind or whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thinking, I think, is uh, it's got to, you know, we've got to sort of come to it. And I think to some extent, and people are sort of willing to listen to it um, from a couple of points of view. I mean, just getting product again. Yeah. Um, from a from a food safety and security point of view, um, you know, then then there's also the local. You know, I I live in West Bend, and there's a lot of nice. I'm right across the street from my my ten acres of land. It's a farm with a whole bunch of cows, and yeah. you know, I've talked about it. So how you know, wouldn't it be nice if he could just sell his cows directly to consumers? Right. You know, and it just hasn't. You know, you could say, well, you can do that. Well, it just hasn't been that easy yet. You know. Um, you know, so I just talked to somebody yesterday, a couple days ago anyway, um, that <clears throat> there's a small scale meat processing facility in our state that's been empty mm-hmm. for some number of years. It was it mm-hmm. was built new, had some problems, never really could get to financial viability, shut down and sat there. And mm-hmm. um, this person I was talking to has led a group of investors. They bought it and they're going to start up in um in a month and it's going to be usda certified so you can ship over state lines and organic certified Mm -hmm. and um you know that um he'd been trying to do this for a while but covid got the investors engaged right like Mm -hmm. oh i i i get it right because we have these farms and it's in the southwestern part of the state there are a lot of beef grown down there and so they have no place to ship their animals, right? All these mm-hmm. small processors, right? Because they are kind of the microgrid, you know, if they, if you mm-hmm. want to call it that. They're completely mm-hmm. booked. Like I got people booking into two, two, 2022 now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. crazy, right? So there's like, there's no distributed capacity. So well, is there an well, opportunity the to create like more of these, do you think? Well, there's. Well, like I say, what, there's two things going on, like saying that, you know, you, you bring up that one situation. And then one of the startup companies that I'm working with right now is, you know, is, uh, I'll just, you know, throw it out there. It's, 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 he came to me as field, field to freezer, right? Uh-huh. And what he's doing is it's, a, it's an application, you know, so connecting. And he started out with connecting deer, you know, 
deer hunters, you know, with deer processes. Uh-huh. You know, where can I get my deer processed? My, you know, I go hunting, and I said, well, think of the right. field a little more broadly. And if you think of the field more broadly, it could be cows, pigs, chickens, you know, anything right. Right. getting to a processor. And I said, that is, you know, obviously a larger scale opportunity, not only for his, his platform, but then if you start thinking about it, these farmers could easily now connect with their local mm-hmm. people. All right. Um, you know, if they could find, you know, and I think that's part of the problem, but there's all, it's kind of like the microgrid thing that we actually do need processing capacity. And we have 155 meat processing facilities or some number like that in Wisconsin. And if you go to other States, they're like two or zero, right? So if we were going to be more resilient in that way, we're going to need more than software. We're going to need facilities. Well, you're going to need facilities too, and that's well, that, and that sort of brings up sort of you know like some of the things I know you and I work on. It's like you know, okay, how do we scale some of these people? Because ultimately, right. some of them start out. A lot of the you know, and uh, if you look at the the people that I've talked to with uh, field for uh, field of freezer, I mean, I want to call it pork all the time, field yeah. of freezer, but um, is uh, you know they have capacity, but are they USDA capacity? I mean, so can they ship right. across the line? You know, and you know, probably, you know, most, I'd say, I don't know most what the numbers are, are, but not. my guess is most of them are not. I mean, they can mm-hmm. do local processing and they can do, that's how they, you know, they have their local farmers that they've worked with and people that have bought from them over the years. And, and then they do deer processing and, you know, for, you know, you know, uh, seasonal type of work and, you know, and it's become a nice little cottage business, you know, it's a cottage business. Some of them are nice little uh-huh. businesses, but, but, you know, once again, it, it's, it, you know, to scale to the next level, it's like, you know, you're going to have to invest a lot of money. I mean, to get to be right. USDA certified, and, and you need a uh, USDA inspector on site, which is a yeah, huge barrier yeah. too. Well, you have that, and, and then and then you just just the, the wastewater treatment. You know, you know, as you start getting right. large enough and stuff like that, the waste streams of a slaughter plant are considerably more unique than uh, um, just a manufacturing plant. I mean, manufacturing plants right. have their own issues, but a wastewater or a but a, a, a you know harvesting facility is just you know, pretty, pretty intensive work. Um, yeah. you know, so it's, uh, it, 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 you know, that's, there are, there are challenges that way. I, I'll, I'll grant that. Um, but you know, there are a lot of people that want to run businesses and they're, they're actually pretty good at it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, now how do, you know, like I think that's where you and I've spent a lot of time. How do we help create a framework that helps these people develop business models that can scale and grow? Um, right. You know, because that's worthy of the investment, right? Um, right. And, you know, investment doesn't occur unless there's enough demand for it, all right? Right. So there hasn't been this local, I mean, there's been local demand, you know, but not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if there was, more of these people would be doing more things. Um, yeah, and I think there's buying. some things about, I mean, meat processing in particular that it, it's not, <laughs> you know, that's not have running a, a, a harvesting floor, right? It's not something your average person wakes up in the morning and says, yeah, I want to do that for a living, right? So I think getting talent, we don't, we also, they had the people who own these facilities tell me, we we just don't even have people who know how to cut up meat anymore. Like, like, you know, it's meat cutters. It used to be a full profession, you know, and to have every store in America had a meat cutter in it. And they really don't anymore, you know, not the major and, ones. Yeah, I mean, and universe, or trade schools and had yeah. had 
program specifically to mm -hmm. train people to cut meat and now we don't do mm -hmm. that anymore and mm -hmm. and so we it's an industry that relies a lot on um immigrant labor where people still know mm -hmm. how to cut up meat um mm -hmm. so they're just they're just you know and you peel the layer of the onion when you start thinking about why did the covid you know, cause such a shock to the supply chain. And there's so, you realize there are so many layers to this onion. It's sort of crazy, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And that's oh, why yeah. I'm yeah. that system-wide approach that you are building is so, is so necessary, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's to say that the, the moving fab initiative, I think is really important because, you know, obviously the macro players in the market, I mean, the larger drivers of the market are the larger manufacturers, the larger warehouses and, you know, logistic systems, retailers and such, you know, if they, you know, one, if we get them driving in the right direction, that will help. All right. Yeah. Um, immensely. Um, I think the one that I'm working on with, uh, with DadCap and, and, uh, WDC and, and just sort of looking at this sort of micro one, um, I'd like to see the two come together at some point in time. I mean, I really uh -huh. would because because they really have a lot of mutual opportunity. I mean, the one thing that I, I think that we're seeing in the in the smaller one is about okay, what's the transparency? If a retailer needs, like right now, I've had retailers, I can't find bread. You know, my, right. you know, my retail bread. You know, so there are people on the other end that you know you, you could you know there's you could say well there's bread there's ways of finding those people. Well, it's not that easy, honestly. I mean, you, you know, you got you know platforms like Range Me and stuff like that. But, you know, those are sort of existing SKU platforms. They're not capacity platforms. Right. You know? So where, where is my capacity? Where's my capability to do something? So, you know, if, if I'm in you know, it's or... So, it's so interesting that you bring that up. I was doing this uh, boot camp in Seattle and somebody, um, somebody brought up the idea of having, talking about an app, have an app mm -hmm. that would help people find excess capacity and help people mm -hmm. who had excess, mm -hmm. excess capacity find private label opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. there was this idea to have money as a toast, you know, so working capital mm -hmm. for the, you know, to support actually running the stuff, right, mm -hmm. was going to be part of mm -hmm. it. And I don't know if it's ever gone anywhere, but it, it, it seems like a great, idea compared to what you just yeah. said right yeah well and that's the thing and, and, and you know and, and that's where like this whole idea of this dynamic supply chain sort of an interactive dynamic i mean you don't have to go from you know manufacturer you know, you know like the producer to retailer you know it's sort of the way a supply chain looks all the time um uh -huh. you know from you know well why not have a full side number one i mean because if if there's demand somebody will build it Right. Right. I mean, virtually nobody, I, I, you know, I, I grew up building plants at Oscar Fire, and we never built a plant that didn't have demand. You know, we right. didn't say, oh, well, we're, we're going to build this and they will come. Right. Um, right. You know, we knew there was demand out there and we built it. So, I mean, if, mm -hmm. if we could create more of a, a, an open architecture of a, you know, what's the, where is the demand, you know, you know, an op a portal for people to say, I'm looking for this. Can I find it? Right. Um, and when I say this, a capacity in a sector. Versus a right. product, all right? Well, um, and think of it like Uber, right? It's like ride mm -hmm. sharing, right? There is ex excess capacity in the food mm -hmm. manufacturing yeah. world because this oh, yeah. happens in plants, right? Yeah. Well, there is, but you know, it's interesting though. Now, so, and in, in one of the things that we've been looking at in the, on, on this sort of a, this shorter term supply chain is that, well, what if you're also 
right now with all the shipments being, you know, disrupted, you know, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have, I, from what I'm hearing, LCLs are driving back empty all the time. All right. Because there's oh, emergency right. shipments. Yeah. There's, there's not necessarily emergency shipments the other way. All right. Like right. The right. allowed them to be pretty prof- proficient at not having empty trucks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you you exasperate a driving situation when you have empty trucks driving around. Right. All right. Um, so what if, you know, we had a three, you know, you know, three, you could say, well, three PLs are built for that. Well, they are for their lane. All right. You know, what if they're, what if somebody outside their lane, you know, you know, had a demand, you know, hey, I need somebody to pick this up, but I can't find a carrier. Right. You know, and you just happen to be coming back. Could we plug in in the middle of the supply chain? All right. Right. Um, and, and so as, as I've looked and talked to some of these, uh, some of the stakeholders here that, and, and, and some of the entrepreneurial stakeholders in this framework, I said, immediately people go to trying to monetize and or own the supply chain. And I'm like, right. no, let's, let's create an arc net, you know, let's create this, you know, agronet, you know, that, that it's sort of like, it's a framework that allows people to have transparency to find things. Um, right. Because right. And, and if you're part of that creation, then what happens is you're going to be linked into it. You know, sort of think of Amazon creating the portal of e-commerce. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, part of the reason why they don't they, they go into it pretty eyes wide open is because they're they're uniquely set up to run like that. Um, right. You know, and, and so that's why I've been trying to say, you know, be part of the creation and engagement so that when you develop your app, it works with the broader world. You know? Right. And. You know, and then you will be better at your segment of what you do, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, that said, you know, the other thing you, you brought up, something that made me think about it, is that, okay, so what happens when, you know, this mid-size, small to mid-size, you know, you know, the harvest house, you know, gets a big order? All of a sudden, right. they need working capital. Right, exactly. They need more money than they have, you know, in order right. to, make the, to, to complete the order. Mm-hmm. Um so it's like, you know, that's where, you know, it's sort of like an interesting, it's a, it's, it's, it's a problem, but, you know, it's very, it's solvable, you know, but you sort of, solving it the way we solved it is not going to be the answer. We sort of all know that. We all sort of know that, but, you know, to some extent we got to sort of say, okay, well, we got to do something different. Though. Yeah. Um, well, and we've all been busy just taking the little piece we own, right, and optimizing mm-hmm. the hell out of it, right? So there's mm-hmm. no yeah. slack in the system in our little yep. piece because that's how we, yep. we made money in the past. And yep. that added up to a system with no flexibility whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a, like I say, it's, a, it's an interesting, you know, obviously an interesting time, but it, like I said, there's plenty of opportunities to sort of now how do we engage. Um, right. The good news is, like I said, I think on, from what I saw on FAB and what we're doing with our supply chain group is that there's an interest there. We just got to take it to the next level of execution. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, working with uh, different state agencies, I know that WDC is being asked to, you know, there's, there's been a request to, Look at the macro supply chain. You know, pre-COVID, post, you know, COVID, post-COVID. Um, right. You know, how do we? How do we sort of set ourselves up for growth? You know, and, and afterwards. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thinking we need to do. I mean, it's, I, I, I was on different, a uh, couple of different panels a couple of years back for the Winds Act, where they were trying to set up a sort of a strategic alignment of, of you know, incremental grant funding. You know, for startups and growth companies, uh-huh. stuff like that, for innovation and. And I, you know, when I went and talked to the the uh, the, the, the Wisconsin Senate Senate groups and House groups, and you know, 
you know, one thing I tried to reinforce is that, okay, if 60-plus percent of our GDP is coming from ag, food, and beverage, I applaud the, the opportunity to, to build a strategy that, you know, of your funding, you know, whenever you do different kind mm-hmm. of economic development programs, that aligns with your growth strategy, you know, mm-hmm. you know because that's, that is running, you know, a government more like a business. I mean, that is sort of mm-hmm. like focusing on what you want. You know, you know, I always say, you know, it's like, you know, focus on, you know, focus on what you want and do what it takes to make it happen. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, versus, you know, complaining about things and then, you know, that's not what you want. You don't want the pep. You don't right. want the pain. You want, right. you want the result, you know. Um, right. Right. So, so hopefully we hopefully we get more of that coming out of this because we've seen I our pressure. So. so I, I, I mean, this is, you know. I went to to the grocery store yesterday. There still isn't toilet paper. Like, what the <laughs> hell is this with toilet paper? Actually, I don't know what it is. I saw that. I, I did that the other day too, and I said, I can't believe this. And, and now I did talk to somebody. I don't know who was it yesterday, but last last couple of days. And I guess you know it's interesting with everybody working from home. Uh-huh. Right? A lot of toilet paper was sold to business and industry. And that's a different, oh, just like right. food service, you know, so they don't really have the retail packaging to convert all that stuff that used to be done in the office space. Right. <laughs> I was like, I thought, that's an, int- uh, I suppose, I said, this guy, you know, when I saw the empty shelves, like, well, I did the same thing. I was scratching my head. I'm like, well, and then I heard that. I'm like, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, yeah. Well, and we have our our Rebel Green in our in yeah. our FabCap accelerator who sells toilet yeah. paper made from bamboo that they bring yeah. from overseas, and they can't keep up. They're like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the retailers are saying we can't even get toilet paper. You can get us yeah. toilet paper. <laughs> it's like yeah. made from yeah. bamboo. Yeah. No, I know, I know. It's uh, so so. Yeah, it's just it's just a uh, you know. It's, I've always sort of appreciated the supply chain and understood the role it played, but it's, uh, you know, you don't realize how, I mean, you know, the engineering me says, you know what, it's sort of like, you know, your macroeconomics, you know, your M1s, M2s and stuff like yep. that. I mean, there's a reason why those things work. In fact, flow is what works. Yeah. And when you mm-hmm. restrict flow, it obviously it doesn't work. Um, and so that's sort of what we've done is we built a system for this certain, you know, I'm going to say high pressure system high outputs and high, you know, I'm going to say high, high output profitability for those who can afford to build that kind of system. Yeah. Um, You know, and, you know, great, but man, it's sort of critical that we keep product moving in the channels they were in. Yeah. Um, Ergo, we need the flexibility. And then how do you fund the flexible system? You know, that flexible new system yeah. has to compete yeah. with the, the big high-pressure, high-volume yeah. thing when we aren't yeah. in COVID, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's sort of one of the reasons why like, that the moving tab thing was, is, is, in my mind, pretty important because that's dealing with some of the larger macro players, all right? And mm-hmm. if we can get them to sort of see that, you know what, you know, by being part of the solution, you know, of a broader, you know, sort of a broader network approach to it, um, mm-hmm. versus an in- independent industry, independent company, you know, mm-hmm. look at it, um, that maybe we can, you know, improve the overall efficiency of the supply chain. And still, you know, as I said, and then they can they can be the best 3PL. They can be the best manufacturer. They can be the best retailer. Um, right. You know, so that they can still compete in their own lane. But, you know, it's, it's like, you know, the supply chain is just that. It's like, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the power grid. 
I mean, nobody right. wants to own the, you know, you know, I don't see, you know, Walmart or Kroger or anybody wanting to own the power grid. Um, right. You know, you know, they, they would never, you know, nobody would say that. But for whatever right. reason on the supply chain side, they sort of, it's not they, everybody, you know, sort of believes that, that, that it should, you know, that they, it's sort of a competitive advantage. And we're like, not really. I mean, if you can't move, if you can't move product, if you can't find a truck, if you can't find a warehouse, if you can't find whatever, you can't get product and right. you can't sell it. Right, and and uh, I mean even Amazon and stuff is finding that out right now, as far as I can see, because they used to be able to deliver everything in two days. Well, yeah. I, you know, in the last month or two, it's been two or three weeks in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, and I was I was talking to my Amazon Prime delivery driver, and I said, yeah. well, "How's it going?" And we got talking about exactly what we're talking about here, and he and I told him a little bit of the factoid that I told you, and and he's like, oh, he started rolling his eyes. Oh my God! He goes, "But the problem is, is that he goes." You know, we can. We probably have more. You know, he says the delivery side of it, he felt pretty good about. Now that's what he did for a living, so he, you know, obviously right. knew where he was at. He goes, but but we can't get people to pick it off at the warehouses. He says we're having problems at the warehouse getting enough people to process the product, even with the automation that they've got uh, right. to process it through the warehouse to get it onto their truck. Yeah. All right. Um, and then I saw a guy come up yesterday and drop, pull up, he backs on, I have a 900-foot driveway, so they usually back into my driveway. Um, oh, and, God, uh, yeah, because they don't know if they can turn around, right? Yeah, yeah, and or the ones that have come in here the other way, to, you know it, so they do that. <laughs> right, like they'll never around. do that again. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, anyways, then he opened up his back door, and you should have seen it. I mean, it was like boxes strewn all over the place, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, so, so the point is, is that it's like, you know, it's that the amount of disruption that, you know, is that people, you know, that, that's occurring is just is beyond belief. And to say we're going to go, even if we go back to the old world, okay, so the old world for food and beverages, $75 billion was not on shelf. Right. You know, and, and, and we're losing that opportunity. You know, we're losing, you know, you know manufacturer, retailers are losing $70 billion a year annually just because of that. And then mm-hmm. retailers or manufacturers are losing $55 billion, you know, um, for yeah. the product they manufacture plus fees. Yeah. So and, it, and the restaurants. So somebody moved yeah. in next door to me who owns like three restaurants in Madison. And yeah. he's not opening up yet because, um, because of social distancing. His, facil- his restaurants are too small. They're right downtown, yeah. right? So yeah. he would lose money the minute he opened. So well, that's this, the thing when you, yeah. yeah. This idea that suddenly we're going to go back to where we were is kind of crazy. <laughs> it's no, no, and even if, even if we could open the doors without the COVID piece of it, I mean, any kind of economic recession like this that I've ever lived through just doesn't bounce back. It just doesn't come back because people, you know, I, you know, I feel relatively safe. You know, I mean, as, sure. but I know I'm smart enough to not to, to actually get to live in that dreamland. And right. so, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm factoring in, you know, maybe holding back on expenditures. I mean, yeah. you think about it, if you didn't, and if you don't have dollars, you know, and you, and, and you just lost your job, you know, you're laid off, you don't necessarily have health care in some cases. In most cases, you know, that they, when they lose their job, they lose their health, lose their health, access to health care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're now monitoring what you spent, you know, right. you know, in a, totally different way than, you know, in a free-flowing market. That's what goes back to this idea of a hydraulic system, you know. Once you start restricting the oil in the system, the capacity of the, of the hydraulics is, is almost nil. Right. Um, 
you know, so what you have to do is, you know, that's where, you know, saying getting it back up and running, you know, it's just, you know, just turning all the spigots on. It's like, it's just not going to happen. That's not, people just, people are the ones have to, every individual has to turn on the spigot. Right. And, uh, and they're not doing it. And in some cases they can't, you know, right. I mean, they just don't have the money to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the idea that somehow, you know, our supply chain problems are going to get resolved just because restaurants are going to open again, you know, yeah. like that whole food service went yeah. to retail and now, yeah. like, yeah. I don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, and so, well, there's that. And then the other side of it is this, is that I think the whole e-commerce piece of it is going to stick. So yeah. if that sticks, what happens is retail grocery, which was already had pressure, uh, profit pressures in the first place is going to get further pressured. All right, mm -hmm. and and even between, I'll guarantee if 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 uh, you know, I would, you know, I I do, <laughs> I would like to, it would be interesting just to see the forensic accounting. Um, I got to believe that uh, Amazon's not making money on their food and beverage. All right, and if Amazon's mm -hmm. not making money on their food and beverage delivery systems, and and you know, retail grocery isn't, um, and then more is going through those channels. I mean, right. that puts economic pressure on them. All right, so what are they going to do? Now, hopefully, they, 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 you know, they innovate, you know, and mm -hmm. continue to improve, which I think they will because that's what they do for a living. Um, but, but that pressure is there, you know. So it's not. And once again, if you take more money and put it someplace else, you don't, you're not putting it someplace. So it's like, you know, the disruption has occurred. Now we've got to sort of let the system reset. You know? Yep, yep, yep. I get it. And is it because the last mile is so expensive? Is that <laughs> what the problem is? Yeah. Well, in fact, that's where, you know, everybody's been thinking the last mile, you know, just because that's sort of the Amazon model and, and all and such. And, and it works for books and non-refrigerated, you know, shelf tables, right, you know, anything that's right. not, you know, whatever. <clears throat> but for food and beverage, we haven't even begun talking about the security of the product, you know, going from that, going through that last mile. You know, getting it into a warehouse and getting it to a shipment is going to be another thing. I mean, I, I've seen platform after platform of, you know, e-commerce, you know, type of deliveries and stuff like that. Even the, the idea of drone, you know, that that, uh, that Amazon has, you know, has sort of put in the market, you know, in the thought out there. And, and with their, uh, you know, I don't know for a fact. I assume they're, when I say I don't know for a fact, I have, I have no firsthand knowledge of it other than what I read in the press. Right. Um, but I know they're looking at it and considering it. You hear the industry talking about it. Um, great. How do you have a refrigerated controlled, you know, drone? All right. Right. So that, I mean, if, if you're if legally according to, you know, FISMA rules, you know, once a retailer, if I ship it, if I'm a manufacturer, I have to control the cold chain all the way to the receiving point of the, of the retailer. And then the mm -hmm. retailer has to control the cold chain all the way to the point that the, re the consumer takes possession of it. Uh -huh. All right. You know, now it's possession, you know, partially possessed in the store. All right. So there's a little bit of joint. People don't realize how much product abuse goes on in the store because if you pick it up and don't put it, take a frozen item and then you put it into the, on a shelf in the dry oh, area or sure, refrigerated right. area, and then they go put it back in the frozen area, you know, nobody really knows, right? Um, right. You know, and, and does that happen? Yeah, it, it has happened. I mean, that's how they've, they've seen things like that. And, you know, no fault of almost anybody. Um, but once you start, let's, you know, get outside of brick and mortar now and you put that in a car, you know, uh, you know, some type of, you know, share service type of thing. Those are not refrigerated. Those, if, you, if you look at what a manufacturer does, selling it to a retailer, 
they actually lock, they put it in the door, they have a temperature recorder on the, tr- on the refrigerated supply chain, they have, you know, the right, monitor. Right, and it's pressure, locked, have, yeah. It, it's, all, it's locked and it's all monitored and recorded for traceability right. for, you know, that. So now, if, if the consumer has not taken order a hold of this, I mean, legally, um, I would have to think that, that whoever is transporting that final mile is in jeopardy of lawsuits. If they, if somebody got sick, let's say it was, let's say that um, some meat, you know, sat in a mm-hmm. 120 degree car for two hours, mm-hmm. you know, because it got stuck in a traffic jam, mm-hmm. all right, you know, and then got put on a sh- on the front door and didn't get, you know, because the person wasn't there to receive it, right, you know, and then the person puts it, you know, just ends up using it because it didn't seem bad, you know, um, or didn't want to waste it, you know, and they get hurt. You know, mm-hmm. so that whole supply, that, that final mile is, has not even been stress tested, you know, for food and right. for all practical purposes. Um, you know, and, and right, and, and, and like I say, that's, it's not so much really so, but it's like, it's sort of like, it hasn't because of, we just haven't got there yet. Um, you know, there's been drop shipping and companies that do that, and they do a pretty good job. Anybody, any kind of work I've ever done in drop shipping, they use CO2, and, and they, you know, we, you know, I know when I worked yeah. at, uh, you know, sending pizzas around the United States as, as for customer sampling, we did testing to make sure that it held temperature for three days. Right. Right. Um, you know, and we could verify that the, the packaging system that we built, you know, which box with insulate, you know, with insulated packaging, um, X pounds of CO2 to Y pounds of product could hold, you know, temperature at minus, you know, at, you know, at, at under 32 degrees for up to three solid days, even at 120 degree temperature. You know, we had mm-hmm. those kind of parameters that we knew, all right, um, you know, for, and that was just for a pizza, you know. You know, what right. about every other segment, you know. Right. Um, and, you know, that hasn't been done. So that's why I say e-commerce and food is going to be an interesting thing. That's why, you know, I'm always interested in the T4 ideas because, okay, if we can now control it via a warehouse, and maybe a refrigerated frozen truck, like a Schwann's type of esque type of truck, you know, like they've mm-hmm. done in the you know years gone by, to a locker. Yeah. It's not necessarily the final mile, but it's you know it's to the final quarter mile. I mean, it gets it right to a point where somebody can swing by and pick it up. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and it's now being temperature controlled all the way to the consumer gets it. Right. You know? Or we could go back to like I remember my grandmother's house had a, a, a ice box yeah. that was yeah. in the side of that house that that the milk guy would come the milk you know the milk truck would yeah. come and deliver to and it opened okay. it had a door on the outside of the house and one that opened into the kitchen. I I've never heard of that. We always had milk you know we always had the milkman you know in my neighborhood when I was young and. Uh, um, but they literally just dropped it on the front doorstep, you know, that kind of thing. They right, didn't do right. It, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and, no, and, and, I just and, remember and, that was a swanky thing back in the day, oh, I'm bet. sure, that they, she built it's funny her you house bring that, that up way. It's funny you bring that up because that's what I told, like, T4 and I were talking about where does this go to. And I said, yeah, I can see where you're, you know, your, your parent company ought to be designing, you know, new apartment complexes and houses with that with that feature built in, a cloud-based Just refrigerator. Just built in, downstairs in condos, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I said, uh, you know, or to your point, I mean, any new house, I mean, it would be interesting to see new housing going up in the next 10 years where the front door has another door off to the right of it that, you know, like it's got a cloud-based, you know, refrigerator freezer that has a door on one side, a door on the other side, and then you just have an app to open it up. And, yeah. you know, so now we can, we can deliver, we can securely deliver our food right to your door. Um, right. And, 
I said, so, you know, I, I do see, you know, that happening, but it's like, you know, obviously there's that, that supply chain thinking has not really gone to that, that point yet. Um, right. You know, because frankly, everybody's just been trying to figure out how to ship, you know, like you look at, you know, the Instacarts and stuff like that. They're just getting people to take it from the store to, to uh, you. All right. And, right. And, and haven't and, really and, solved and, the rest of the problem. Well, yeah, yeah. And if, I, I don't know of any that really have, I, I, I haven't heard of any, honestly, that, that really have addressed this issue that we're talking about, a temperature-controlled supply chain. Right. Uh, well, like, and if you like think about supply chain. before COVID, nobody was home to receive the food they were ordering, and now they are, <laughs> yeah. right? We're all stuck yeah. here going, oh, here's the truck. I got to go get that. <laughs> But then we'll yeah. go back and someday we're going to work in an office again. Maybe, maybe that'll yeah. change too, you know? Well, I do think that's going to change because I just, uh, you know, I've always sort of mar marveled at that in the recent years is that with, with as many platforms as we have, you know, why are we building offices? I mean, talk about the last right. leg of efficiency. If you didn't need to build an office structure that had a thousand offices in it, if you could build one that had 500 offices in it, I mean, wouldn't that save you money? Obviously. Yes. Right. You know, so, <laughs> so it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, and, and I've I've heard some uh, you know people that I've worked with that they're they were always apprehensive of it, and mm -hmm. lo and behold, they've hit their project schedules on time, and yep. <laughs> um, you know, working remotely, yeah. and you know, and, and if you think about it, from trying to get the best talent, I've been I've been doing some I do Eller consulting work. And so, um, you know, I do some consumer insight work. Well, I've been doing, you know, focus groups through Zoom. Yeah. You know? And so I can actually do an, a, I used to, I used to have to fly around the United States to do focus groups. Yeah. Uh, Isn't now that I can crazy? do it from, from, you know, from my, my 10 acres in West Bend. Um, That's a great. And, yeah. And, you know, and then the other thing about them, I mean, you know, there's, there's so many advantages to it because of that I see, because, you know, especially like when I'm doing my consumer work, it's an in-home use test, too. I mean, yeah. it's in their home, you know, so I can talk to them in their home about the product they have, you know. Right. And so, you know, I, I, I see moving forward, you know, a lot of the apprehension we have now, you know, okay, people now know how to use a, a, a buying app for food uh, from Instacart. People right. now know how to do Zoom. I mean, they never used to before. Well, they've learned how now. You know, and I always say, yes, the, the classic, you know, Emerson quote is like, that which we do becomes easier to do, not because the nature of the thing has changed, but our capability to do has gotten yeah. better. Yeah. And, you know, what we haven't been doing, you know, sort of the way the world was, you know, we've had three months now already of, of doing it a different way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you get to six months, it becomes a new norm. Yeah, um, yeah. It, you know, but <laughs> in three years it becomes the status quo. So, right, so right. We we'll be to like, go. oh yeah, yeah. I can't believe. Before yeah. COVID, we used to go to the grocery store. <laughs> it's like, well, it's just yeah. how I used to do engineering drawings. I would take a big drawing, a paper drawing, and cut it into eleven-inch strips so that I could fax it. You know, with with match lines, so I could fax it to somebody as approved drawings. Oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, think about that. <laughs> so yeah, we're. We're, we're going down a path of, uh, of change, I think. But, you know, the disruption yeah. for food and beverage has been waiting to happen. I think we've got the, 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 the you know, we've got the, the catalyst has been set. Um, right. As I can see. Yeah. Well, hey, keep doing the great work you're doing because Lord knows we all need 
um, innovation to happen now that, that we've seen the problem, right? When we need mm -hmm. solutions and, and the, you know, building the collaborative view of this thing and trying to, yeah, it's, it's super important work. So keep it up, man. Yeah. And we're going to stay in touch about this because there's lots of yeah. people who are interested in what's happening. Oh, good. No, I appreciate it. And I, you know, like I said, I hope, you know, to your point, staying in touch. The one reason I want to stay in touch is that these programs are moving forward because, yeah. you know, I think we've got a great opportunity here. I mean, this is as much pain as a lot of people have been going through in the industry and the supply chain. Um, there's just, there is a lot of upside. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it's, but it's going to be doing things differently and working together on it. So I'm looking forward to having some of that happen. Terrific. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.